Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. How are you today? I hope you're well. I hope you're having a good uh, start of the week. And it is Tuesday, so my friend uh, Rob Bluey, the executive editor of the Daily Signal, will be joining me in just a minute. And then followed by Dr. Greg Borgon, we're going to continue his series on ethics, which will be great. And then in hour two, a full hour with Dr. Glenn Pickering. So if you have uh, questions, you can already start texting them for Glenn. Uh, if you'd like, to 877-933-2484. I don't know if, America, if America's hope for an objective media is already lost. I don't know. But I know the Daily Signal honestly disseminates the news. And uh, here to start off our uh, hour today is the executive editor, Rob Louie. Rob, welcome. It's great to be back, Bill. Thanks for having me. All right. The big news is in. Joe Biden has picked Kamala Harris as his VP running mate. That's right. Uh, a lot of anticipation, uh, <laughs> interest in, in what this uh, what this might signal and what it might mean. And of course, it's um, it's already generating quite a reaction. So, uh, you know, there are a few moments in, in a, the course of a presidential campaign, as we know from history, uh, that have a, a, an important trajectory on where things go from here. So I think back to that moment in 2008 when John McCain surprised everybody with Sarah Palin. Um, and then there are other moments in history where you might forget, uh, as, as was noted uh, just recently um, in, in a piece that um, uh, was published in the New York Times by Maureen Dowd, where she seemed to forget that, uh, that Hillary Clinton had a, a man on the ticket by the name of Tim Kaine, who everybody kind of <laughs> forgot. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we'll, we'll see where this plays out. It's, uh, it's interesting to watch the analysis. And uh, this year, of course, without political conventions, there's a whole lot less fanfare. Uh, but certainly uh, there will still be debates. Uh, we're looking forward to those debates and having hopefully having a robust conversation on policy d- issues. Well, on a positive note, Biden should be able to win California now. <laughs> well, if that wasn't doubt. <laughs> I mean, she never got uh, Kamala Harris never got above two or three percent in her own state. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Uh, certainly, um, you know, a lot of dynamics at play uh, in uh, in a number of factors. Uh, but, uh, you know, until we actually hear uh, the, the candidates themselves speak about uh, the, the qualifications, I don't know if there's going to be an, an event today. It was all handled uh, uh, virtually, as uh, so many things in our life these days. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what attributes um, the former vice president highlights. Yeah, I do remember uh, from the, the uh, primaries, uh, Harris saying that I believe Biden accusers. So that's when things uh, when the fangs were out. And now um, she's probably going to have to walk that back a little bit or or not. Yeah, maybe not. Um, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's one of those uh, one of those situations where in, in politics, uh, sometimes when you're on the debate stage, you, you say some things and uh, and then you forget about them later because it's uh, it's a matter of uh, you know moving on and hopefully having a productive conversation. Look at uh, look at the. 2016 challengers to President Trump. I mean, some are now uh, some of his closest allies and others, you know, still, uh, you know, harbor deep resentment. So 
I think that uh, in, in politics, uh, it's uh, it's good to sometimes uh, forgive. And in other cases, it's uh, a situation where uh, where individuals will decide to, to, to go a different route. And uh, we've seen that uh, certainly in the Republican Party. Uh, that was uh, perfectly clear uh, with uh, with so many people uh, who, who were in that stage of 17 candidates who ran in, uh, against President Trump. Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, uh, Kamala Harris is very likable? I, <laughs> having never met her personally, yeah, I don't I mean, know just, that I can. Just her persona and the way she interacts with uh, reporters, and the, when I've seen her behind a podium, she's she's got a, she's got a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of steam all the time. You know, I think that uh, look, uh, anybody who who is is motivated and driven to run for for president of the United States uh, certainly has to have uh, some some characteristics like that, Bill. So. Uh, the, the question is whether or not they can translate that in a way that connects with, with voters. And, um, and certainly we've seen throughout history that there are people who have, uh, you know, some, some distinct advantages over their opponents. Mm-hmm. I, I think back to the, uh, the, the 2012 campaign, uh, which is, you know, a comparison between Barack Obama and, uh, and Mitt Romney, where, where Obama was, you know, talking about things like hope and change and uh, really, um, you know, grandiose ideas and Mitt Romney was uh you know talking about binders and and right. uh, flowcharts and things from his day so you know people just couldn't connect in a in a very um relatable way with Mitt Romney even though they gave Mitt Romney some really you know high marks on on other issues but um but you know that's uh that's something that it's still too early to tell. I mean, the news just happened, so we'll see what what the polling indicates. Uh, typically, when big events like this happen, it, it certainly favors um, the, the challenger, uh, and we already know in some cases that uh, that uh, you know the polls indicate that there's an uphill uh, road, but uh, but things uh, may be narrowing. And uh, and I think one thing is for sure: the American people are looking for for solutions. They're looking for uh, a path forward. They're looking for somebody who has a vision for what the next four years in America look like, and that's what they want to hear. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to say anything about Kamala Harris, about is she likable, you know, because if your point's so well taken, Rob, if you're in politics, you have to be really strong, really tough. You have to be a fighter. And, you know, I don't, I I, I thought Barack Obama was always very likable. I thought. Yeah, of course. I thought he was so likable. Um, so I've seen politicians who have that likability factor, which I don't know, maybe in this environment is important. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you think back to, to some of the the races in history and uh, and, and George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton in, in 1992 as another example, uh, Ronald Reagan and Walter Mondale mm-hmm. in, uh, in 1984. Um, you know, it, it's that that old expression. You know, who who, who would you rather have a beer with at the right. end of the day? You know, right. and uh, and I think some Americans tend to, to to choose their candidates that way. Of course, you know, um, we are a highly divided nation, and so many people have already made up their minds that they're either going to support one 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 uh, candidate or the other. Uh, but.
you know, uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm really looking forward to, and I'm so glad that uh, there will be presidential debates, obviously, probably done under, uh, you know, different circumstances with the um, with the COVID-19 restrictions that, that we find. But, uh, you know, it's definitely a situation where, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, nobody gave uh, Vice President Mike Pence uh, much of a chance going right. into the vice presidential debate with Tim Kaine. And Mike Pence came out of that debate much more likable, to your point, than Tim Kaine did. Because mm-hmm. Tim, Tim Kaine was an attack dog and he just re- relentlessly went after President Trump. And I think people were turned off by it. So uh, definitely something that people have to, to pay attention to. And and Bill, I you know, hope we get to talk about my uh, my unique experience last week traveling on an Air Force Two with Mike Pence. Whoa. But to see him up close and personal yeah uh was uh, was just a remarkable experience and so um i think that uh there are some politicians who have uh who have a tr- that tremendous uh asset to, to their advantage and i think president trump for some people uh you know has that and in other cases he turns a lot of people off so you know it, it all just depends on on what perspective and vantage point you're looking at it from mm-hmm. so i'm thinking of the other vice presidential debate um and it was uh it was Joe Biden against. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Help me here. Um, uh, you, which year are we talking about now? Uh, let's uh, see. It would have been uh, Mitt Paul, Romney's. Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan. Oh, yeah, of yeah. So yeah, yeah. Paul, Paul Ryan, uh, the future Speaker of the House. Uh, yes, Paul Ryan yes. at the time was a uh, Republican Mitt, Congressman. Yes. I see that. Mitt, see Mitt, that he really stood out there. <laughs> Mitt, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney's running mate. Yes, exactly. Mitt Romney's running mate, of course, you know, Sarah Palin in, in, in 2008, right. <laughs> you know, controversial, uh, you know, ch- choice uh, from McCain. And, and of course, uh, you know, uh, the debate performance was highly scrutinized, um, you know, so so vice presidents uh, in some cases, you know, can uh, make or break uh, yeah. a, a ticket. In other cases, they just don't have the kind of influence that they can. If you, you know, it's really interesting if you look back to 2008, uh, John McCain was kind of in a situation where he was floundering in the polls uh, and, and, and you know, it looked like it was all over for him. And then he picked Sarah Palin. And that really inspired and motivated a lot of conservatives who may have had doubts about John McCain to give him a second look. And the race started to narrow. Of course, what everybody forgets is it wasn't Sarah Palin uh, that didn't John McCain. It was the fact that the economy crashed. And a lot of people blamed uh, George W. Bush and Republicans for that. And and naturally, uh, President uh, uh, Barack Obama was elected president. Um, So, you know, just a whole number of factors there. But I I do point to, you know, that is as an example of where somebody uh, who was a transformational pick, being that Republicans had never never selected a woman for the ticket, uh, really did – jolt uh, people into uh, supporting uh, uh, the candidate. Um, I think that in this case, uh, it seems like, uh, you know, in 2020, it's not rock the boat and do everything pretty safely, right? right. <laughs> Stay in the basement uh, and, uh, and, and, and don't do many interviews and, uh, and, and try to stay out of the spotlight. So we'll see what this, uh, what this means. Uh, certainly uh, the Biden-Harris uh, ticket will be in the spotlight the next few days. Well, these debates, they're going to be Super Bowl caliber in terms of viewership. I mean, they'll get 80 to 90 million viewers, won't they? They certainly will, yes, uh, because uh, there are, are so many. There's there, 
so the debates are always going to be, uh, you know, a high point in, in the months leading, the months and weeks leading up to mm-hmm. an election. I think they take on increased importance this year because there is no convention. So you right. don't. Well, there is a convention, but it's not going to be the traditional convention with all of the, the fanfare that typically comes with it. Um, but the debates will obviously be a, a point in time, uh, I think, particularly because they were. Um, so instrumental in in 2016. I mean, just so many moments that you remember from the debates between uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton uh, that stand out. Um, so they have the potential to, uh, to to be like that again. All right, Rob Lewis, my guest, executive editor of the Daily Signal. Always head over to DailySignal.com. We'll take a little break and we'll come back and have lots more with Rob. It is Tuesday, and I've got Rob Bluey as my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Great article, Rob. Uh, I think Cal Thomas wrote it about the uh, mail-in ballots. I'm trying to think of what that would look like if it was an all-mail-in elect- all mail-in election. And I think to myself, when you think about potential for fraud, how does that? What, how would that work? Would people open ballots, and if they didn't like them, throw them away? How, how does fraud work when it comes to mail-in voting? Well, there, there's a number of, of, of issues. Uh, thank you again for, for raising this. We can't talk about it enough here in the, the, the weeks and months leading up to the November election uh, because a number of, of states are, are moving in this direction. And I think that, uh, first of all, there are some real-life examples of where this has happened. And, uh, and it, what the, look, <laughs> there's, there's any number of things. Uh, first of all, with the post office, uh, I think that uh, you know, there's a reliability issue, and whether or not uh, the situation is uh, is going to yield, uh, you know, an opportunity for somebody to act nefarious and and either steal ballots or um, or or perhaps deliver ballots in a way that, uh, that, that you know sh- should not happen. Um, but uh, just the very nature of it, uh, the there's a big difference between absentee voting, which I've done before, and that you have to apply, and there's a, there's a process. To do that, and then just automatically sending a ballot uh, to a mailbox mm-hmm. um, and and having somebody send it back, and there is, and I think that the thing that you keep hearing from those who are concerned about this is that there needs to be a way to account for uh, the you know the situation where somebody is uh, either you know it's so easy like. I'm just looking out my window right now. I mean, somebody could walk up to my mailbox and take mm. the ballot and mail it back, you know, under my name. So, you know, what 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 kind of security measures are we going to put in place to ensure that, you know, our election is uh, is credible and we have integrity? Yeah. And I think that Cal Thomas and, and Hans von Spakovsky and others who are raising questions about this um, are asking some good questions. And our leaders, our political leaders, have not given us good answers. Yeah. And then how long would it take to process that much mail and those many ballots? I mean, seriously, what would <laughs> well, it take to have a winner? In some, so in some states uh, that have experience doing this for a number of years, I think that they have put in, in some precautions and they know how to do it and they know how to do it in a timely fashion. Uh, in, uh, in other places where it's new, you're right, we probably won't know the results on, on election day. And I think that uh, the American people who want instantaneous uh, results from, you know, they, they view the election kind of like a sporting event where, uh, you know, 
they, they want at the end of the day to know who the winner is, even if it rolls over past midnight, as it did, uh, you know, um, in, in 2016. Uh, but we probably wouldn't know for, for days, mm-hmm. weeks, uh, could be months, you right. know, if there are legal challenges associated with it. Wow, that's crazy. All right. The Coronavirus Commission um, is a project of the Heritage Foundation, and I appreciate uh, the, all the work it's done. What is the best way for getting uh, America reopened? I just heard that the Big Ten football is going to say, uh-uh. Maybe in the spring, but it doesn't look good. And if we lose college football, it's going to be another another tough blow. Yeah, well, I mean, we're already seeing it with some of the other sports, the challenges that they face. The St. Louis Cardinals, uh, you know, might not be able to get the full full condensed season mm-hmm. in because uh, of COVID-19 and uh, positive tests. So, yeah, I'm not surprised that colleges are taking a cautious approach. Um, that seems to be something that, uh, you know, they... They, they tend to do, um, you know, in, in part because, you know, you're, you're protecting students. Uh, these are not professional athletes after all. And, uh, and I think probably some of the other, other major conferences will go in that same direction, Bill. Uh, but what are some of the things that, that we can do? I mean, I, I think that the most basic level each of us needs to just remember the, the, the personal things that, uh, that, that help to combat COVID-19. Uh, wearing a mask out in public, mm-hmm. uh, particularly, you know, if you're with people you don't know and strangers, uh, you know, uh, protect them uh, and they should be protecting you. Uh, keep us, you know, remain, you know, distant uh, from those around you. Uh, I think that that's becoming, you know, easier as time has gone on because uh, whether it's restaurants or grocery stores or or, or you name it, uh, you know, they've put in place those stickers on the floor. Churches, uh, I've been to, you know, a church recently, um, and uh, you know, the pews were were uh, taped off, you know, yeah. where where families could sit, and so yeah. you know, I think that uh, that the, the those businesses and the faith community has responded in a way to make it easier. And, uh, and then of course there are other technological things. Uh, Virginia, for instance, uh, has a new app uh, called COVID wise uh, where, um, you know, using, uh, you know, anonymous data and, and, and they say, you know, it doesn't inter- interfere with your privacy. Uh, if you're around people who test positive, they'll notify you so that you might take a test yourself and uh, and all of those things, I think, are, are ways to help combat it. And of course, uh, at the end of the day, though, I think, you know, testing is going to continue to be important because it's going to give Americans the confidence they need. And uh, and of course, that vaccine, uh, which uh, you know can't be developed fast enough for a lot of us uh, who want to return to normal. Mm-hmm. I do remember way back when, when Dr. Anthony Fauci said that, uh, you know, we have to quarantine for 15 days to flatten the curve. Right, exactly. Do you remember that? It was going to be the end of March, and then they extended it to the end of April. And, uh, and of course, you know, the cases, the positive cases have, have just exploded, and they, they're happening. We're, we're reaching, uh, you know, 5 million. We're over. Uh, they're happening a lot at a much faster clip. The good news in some cases is that, uh, is that there are still far too many people dying. Let me preface my comment by saying that, but they're, mm-hmm. they're, it, the percentage is, is, is decreasing. So as, as more people test positive, um, you know, they are, they are recovering. And that's a good sign. That's because I think our medical professionals know how to, to treat uh, the virus uh, better today than they did uh, initially. And I think that, uh, you know, more and more people are probably uh, becoming aware of, of the symptoms and, uh, and taking precautions themselves. Mm-hmm. So I think there was an article in Daily Signal, I, I read it maybe yesterday, about Second Amendment rights. And even in like in the city of Chicago, where there are uh, delays in, in people getting their, their permits to get guns? 
Yeah, well, I mean, so so first of all, there is a um, we've seen an increase in in gun ownership. I mm-hmm. think in part because of the, the riots and everything else that's associated with it. We've also seen uh, flight away from cities. Uh, people deciding that they're yes. going to move out of big cities because they uh, they just don't want to be around uh, the, the crime or, or the looting that's that's taken place. Uh, what happened in Chicago? was uh was absolutely uh horrifying i i you know um in washington dc by the way uh, there was a, a, sh- right. a shooting uh not too far from where the daily signal has its offices uh you know because washington of course is a pretty condensed city and uh and you know it didn't attract nationwide headlines um uh like other shootings do and and you sometimes wonder you know why why is the news media not covering uh things that are happening in Chicago but back to your original question my colleague Amy Swearer uh every month does a great roundup on the daily signal of uh cases of what she calls uh you know defensive uses of of guns so mm-hmm. people who are are using firearms for their own self protection and uh, she does this because she wants to point out that there are some some you know, benefits and and sometimes when individuals have have used firearms in in their own defense and so you can find that uh, that story right on the Daily Signal's web website at dailysignal.com and uh, and she goes through those examples from the month of July and uh, and some of them are, are are really compelling stories Bill I have to tell you I'm really grateful that uh, that we're one of the few outlets that that does something like this. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of minutes left, Rob. Uh, let's talk about uh, gig workers and the gig worker workers' uh, safety. Yes. Well, uh, so you know, gig workers uh, are, are are kind of best known for things like uh, driving Ubers yes. or um, Uber. You know, delivering Uber Eats, uh, doing those those all those things that are associated with the gig economy yes. uh, that we have. And uh, and yes, there's absolutely ways. Uh, that we can we can go about protecting them. There's including some some efforts underway uh, to to introduce legislation, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, for protect workers at places like Instacart and Grubhub. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that we uh, we just need to keep in mind that uh, that they are sometimes on the front lines, Bill, and uh, and doing jobs that, that expose them to the virus in ways that uh, some of us, you know, uh, you know, have the luxury of being in our homes and working from uh, our computers remotely. And so uh, it's, uh, it's important uh, to, to keep them in mind and to do what we can uh, to, to make sure that they're, um, they're safe. Mm-hmm. So uh, did you get a summer vacation in? Did you get uh, anything in with the kids? We, we, we've gone on, a, on some trips, you know, uh, I think I've, I mentioned before that we visited my parents in I, New York. I, I do was, remember that. that. was really, really yeah. great. We, we got it in right before the governor <laughs> declared oh, that we couldn't come anymore because, uh, you know, Virginia's on one of the, the states that's, uh, that's banned. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, um, we, every year our, our church would take a retreat uh, to, to the, uh, past the Blue Ridge Mountains near West Virginia. And nice. well, although our, our congregation didn't go this year, uh, we took the family um, uh, last weekend and it was great to just get away and, uh, and, and to be in that familiar location oh, sure. and uh, spend some quality time away from the, the excitement of Washington, D.C. Right. Well, Rob, I so appreciate uh, you as always being my guest on Tuesdays and thank you so much for your awesome excellence. Bill, thank you so much. It's always good to be with you. Terrific. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. I always encourage listeners to head to dailysignal.com. That's dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break, and Dr. Greg Borgon will be joining me in just a few minutes.
Welcome back. I'm so glad to be joined by Dr. Greg Borgond. You can go to heartofawarrior.com. Is it .com or .org? No, .org. .org, yeah. I like being corrected on the spot. That's very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Greg is an author, speaker, uh, educator, and just a guest that when he comes in, we get uh, a lot of wisdom. And today we're going to continue our discussion on values and ethics. And maybe just, uh, Greg, if you don't mind, A, welcome, and B, a little recap of what we talked about last time. Sure. We began our discussion by talking about the more global concept called ethics, which you know refers to a, a system of moral principles, and it's concerned with what is good for individuals and society. We highlighted three different approaches that are used in ethics today, and and we decided to focus on the third one, which is called virtue ethics, which addresses certain questions. One, what kind of person do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Two, what virtues bring me closer to this goal? Three, what vices prevent me from achieving it? And four, is my behavior consistent with being a moral person? So ethics in general then rests on a foundation of beliefs that are animated by one's values, which is the real focus of our time together. Uh, that's played out in the circumstances uh, of our lives. So when we talk about that, we're talking about ethics, in essence, then, providing the foundation for our our morality and therefore our character. Our ethics consist of our beliefs and our values, which is also our worldview. Whatever set of beliefs and values you have is your worldview because that's the lens through which you're going Mm -hmm. to, to view the world. So then we started to talk a little bit more about values in particular, and we pointed out uh, to the audience at that time that our behavior is governed by values, and our values are determined by our beliefs. And in in effect, our values are the bridge between our beliefs and our behavior. So that's where we kind of ended. We we spent a a time unfolding that a bit, and, and if your audience is interested, they can certainly go online uh, and pick that up in, at the, on one of the podcasts on your show. But in any case, we are now narrowing the subject down to specific values. It's interesting, Bill. Last night, I did devotions with my grandson, uh, Galen, and his values are goodness and integrity. And he's the one that wanted to reinitiate doing um, the devotions that he and I were doing all along. And he's 18 years of age, and so he t- started talking to his friend about what's, what we're talking about, which was an example of his integrity. And he invited his friend to attend the devotions last night with <laughs> Sweet. me. And his friend, is, is, um, uh, uh, he hasn't made a decision for Jesus Christ yet, but he really appreciates what Galen has been sharing with him in terms of what I've shared with Galen and so, in essence, what Galen was doing is passing on his values to his friend. And so we had a whole discussion about values last night, which was just wonderfully engaging with, with great questions. But this is a really important discussion, especially in light of today. And, and I began our discussion with the two boys last night by simply saying, you know, we have this capacity to go ahead and get access to all kinds of raw data. We can get it on the internet, we can get it from sound bites, we get it from our friends. And in some cases, we put it together in some cogent understanding of how it works together, which is you move from data to knowledge. But very few are able to transition from knowledge to wisdom. I like that. And so consequently, what a university can do uh, is teach you or expose you to a lot of raw data um, they can give you a comprehensive understanding of how the one set of data relates to another set of data, which gives you knowledge, but they can't teach you wisdom. Mm-hmm. 
And so people end up relying on worldly wisdom, common sense, and oftentimes that takes them off in directions that lead them to destinations they're sad they have arrived at. Mm -hmm. So consequently, in order to develop godly wisdom, our values have to be based on a foundation of biblical truth from my point of view. Mm -hmm. And that will bring consistency, coherence, cogency, and congruence to how we make decisions, because every decision we make, Bill, is based on a value we hold. Our values are, in essence, the filter through which we process all life decisions. They're the hills we're prepared to die on, the principles we intend to live by. Mm -hmm. And if we're not proactive in choosing what's going to stand in that position of authority over our beliefs and our values, then it'll be a hodgepodge of those. And some days we'll be making decisions that are honorable, and other days we'll be making decisions that are dishonorable. You said something months and months ago, Greg, that stuck with me, and it's this line, who has the privileged place of authority in your life? Yeah, yeah. If, if you can a- ask that question and answer it with, well, the Lord Jesus Christ does, Yeah, you're fine, but if you don't, you're in trouble. Yeah, uh, it's some other ism, it's some other ideology, some right. other philosophy or amalgamation or a smorgasbord of those kinds of beliefs and values from a variety of sources that end up being streamed together into this perspective that you have that taints and colors and forms and conditions and establishes your decisions. And so unless there is some consistency to it, then there's no consistency to your behavior because your behavior is simply a reflection of the beliefs and the values that you hold. Let me ask you this, Greg. What if you confess that lordship with your mouth, but your decisions don't reflect that? There's an incongruity then between what you say you believe and how you behave, but there's absolutely no incongruity with what you truly believe at the core who you are and how you behave. If your behavior is corruption, it's sinful, or it's something that uh, is dishonoring, uh, regardless of what you tell me you believe and what you value, um, I'm going to look at your life. Mm -hmm. I, I tell men all the time, Nobody really cares what you have to say until they observe how you live. And if you live a life of integrity and honor under God's authority, people will ultimately want to hear what you have to say, even if they disagree with you. Why? Because they cannot get past a life well lived. Mm -hmm. They can deconstruct your faith proclamation. They can argue with what you consider to be truth. They can tell you your truth ends where my nose begins. But the fact of the matter is, their behavior is going to exactly reflect what they truly believe at the core of who they are, not what they necessarily proclaim. So there, it, it does come across as an incongruity. But at the core, there is no incongruity. So you have to go back to these beliefs and values that give rise to that behavior and call it for what it is. And that's the beginning of change. All right. Well, let's go ahead and, and continue on with our discussion so many Christians, um, they, they have value systems that are a, co- a collection, as we've just been discussing, of conflicting ideas that are gleaned from um, maybe the culture or common culture rather than God's Word. So he- here's where the rubber meets the road now. Most parents I know desperately want to shield their children from the cruel experiences they're bound to encounter. and They're encountering right now as they engage the world around them. Who's going to give them direction and guidance when they observe what's taking place in riots and, and lootings and people losing their lives and uh, the, the denigration of just a human soul? 
So who's going to give them that guidance? Are we going to rely on the school systems? Are we going to rely on their friends? Are we going to rely on people that they might be listening to um, on, you know, on iTunes or whatever it might be? So when we, when we're con- if we're really concerned about how our children are going to be able to navigate an ever-darkening world, then we've got to be proactive and strategic about providing instruction about how to navigate this ever-darkening world. Mm-hmm. So that's what I meant by here's where the rubber meets the road. Most parents I know desperately, again, want to shield their children from the experiences that they're going to encounter. I mean, I wouldn't want to live uh, as a young person today. I'm, I'm glad that's behind me. So what do we do? You know, one of the things that I did, and one of the things I covered last night with the two, uh, well, they're actually young men. They're 18 and 19 years of age. I said, I gave Galen values as I have all my grandchildren uh, because I wanted him to have clarity about making wise decisions. And I took him to scripture that showed how Solomon himself, when he was talking to his own boys, and you find this in, in Proverbs chapter 4, says, I want you to really listen to me, boys. In essence, he's saying, when I was a young lad or long, a young child, my father taught me. This is why at 18 years of age, when he became king of Israel, and um, he was asked by God what he could give him, this 18-year-old asked for wisdom. I don't know many 18 years <laughs> old that would be given an opportunity to ask God for mm-hmm. anything would ask for wisdom. But here's Solomon did, and you wonder where that came from. It isn't just because he was wired differently. It's because he was taught by his father early on the importance of wisdom, which you find if, if your readers care to read it in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, um, where it talks about the, the importance of wisdom. So how do we prepare our children for the bumps uh, in the road that we call life? How do we equip them from the harsh reality of living life in a fallen world? For, how do we give them what they need to navigate the minefields they'll encounter along the way? So values are exceedingly important. We have in God's Word the answers to those questions I just raised. In it, I find repeated instances where we're exhorted, strongly encouraged to embrace and act upon certain values. For instance, there are values we receive from God himself. At the moment of conversion, when we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, God gives us in seed form what the Bible refers to as the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They represent the values that are on the heart of God. They are what marks us out as, as members of his kingdom, as citizens of a, of a new world called heaven. And that's what makes us alien and foreigners and sojourners in this world today. So it doesn't mean that we live in a Christian ghetto and tie verses to a rock, throw it over the transom, hope it hits an non-Christian in the head, reads the verse, and they come to Christ. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We're called to engage the world. So we are called into the world to minister to the world for the sake of the world, but not be part of the world. Mm -hmm. Because we are different. Tall order. We are belong to God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. So the fact of the matter is this fruit of the Spirit has to be cultivated. They're the values that are on the heart of God. They're the values that matter to God. So when we talk about love, joy, and peace, they can only be nurtured and cultivated as we develop a deepening relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father. They're, they're kind of like an upward uh, extension of our understanding and appreciation of what is meant by love, joy, and peace, because in Christ we have all three of those. 
He is love. He is joy. He is peace. And so then we go to uh, patience, kindness, and goodness. Those can only be nurtured and cultivated in relationship and interaction with others, which is kind of like an outward um, expression of, of those particular uh, values. And then the last, faithful and generous and self-control, are all about inner disciplines. So we have upward, outward, and inward ways in which we can develop the fruit of, of, uh, of the Spirit of God. And they represent the corporate set of values we receive, the familial set, if you will, from the heart of God. So every Christian has those values in seed form embedded into their soul. They need to be nurtured, they need to be pruned, they need to be cultivated so that it produces, like it says in Scripture, 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. Mm-hmm. So that's the familial set. All right. I think it's probably a good time to take a short break. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. You can go to heartofawarrior.org, heartofawarrior.org, to learn more about Greg and his writings and uh, his uh, ministry. We'll take uh, a break and be back in 90 seconds. Dr. Greg Borgon, we're talking about ethics and values. Doing a great job, Greg. I love this. Love, joy, peace is upward, patience, kindness, goodness, outward, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, inward. Yeah, so it takes takes a conscientious effort to develop a loving relationship with your Heavenly Father, and that's what I meant by upward. So if you want to develop the the fruit uh, of the Spirit uh, that are the values of love, joy, and peace, can only be attained with a quickening of that relationship mm-hmm. between you and your creator. When it comes to patience, kindness, and goodness, uh, you can't cultivate that without interacting with others right. because we try each other's patience. Yeah. Um, we're, we're told to be kind to our neighbor. Uh, we're told to practice goodness. And how do you do that in isolation? You've got to do it with others. So that's why it's outward mm-hmm. uh, in terms of its cultivation. And then, of course, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is a matter of discipline, dedication, and devotion to a, a, a committed life underneath the cross. And so developing that faithfulness, which is responsibility or gentleness um, or even self-control and being temperate, uh, it, it takes discipline that's enabled by the Spirit of God who lives within us. So that's how that familial set of values, which all of us have as followers of Jesus Christ, and various, I mean, if we look at a continuum, I, I had this exercise one time I used with guys. I, I said, I want you to put on one end of a horizontal line the phrase, none of it, and at the other end, all of it. And then I had them put nine lines like that. And I had them put the fruit of the Spirit, each element, each value. And I said, where are you along that continuum on each of these in terms of it being robust enough to manifest itself in overt behavior that's bringing glory and honor to God? Where, If you're married, where would your wife say you are on that continuum? But it doesn't matter where you appear on that continuum. What remember, what what is important is in what direction are you headed mm. on that continuum. So that's how you, the fruit of the the uh, spirit is developed. The values that are on the heart of God, the values that represent the kingdom of God. So to keep us from being ineffective and unproductive, we're encouraged to adopt 
and act upon certain values in addition to this familial set. We're encouraged in Scripture. For instance, Second Peter 1, 5 through 9 says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities or these values in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Wow. So in addition to this familial set, and you'll see some of the fruit of the Spirit repeated in this passage, but there are additional values to consider. Perseverance, for instance, godliness, uh, brotherly kindness, uh, you know, things like uh, knowledge. So here we have another example in Scripture of God setting out values through the writer, in this case, Peter, uh, about what constitutes biblical values. And, and so that's, that's another list. We're also in Scripture given guidelines on selecting values that will mark our lives and that, that of our children and our grandchildren. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, here are the guidelines. In order for us, you know, because in addition to this familial set, God will lay on your heart other values he wants you to embrace. They may not be the same that he lays on your heart, Bill, or yours, Rebecca. They may be different values, but they're values he wants you to adopt to mark your life. The values he wants you to use as a filter to process decisions of any consequence going forward. Mm-hmm. He wants you to be a representative. He wants your behavior to reflect those additional values that will mark you out. We could even embrace the same values aside from the familial set, but they may manifest themselves differently based on the context we find ourselves, the sphere of influence we have, uh, the experiences we've had in life. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, God will lay on your heart. And that's what he did with my grandsons, which we'll talk about in a minute. But this passage, uh, Philippians 4, 8, 9, gives us those kinds of clarity about what to look for in a value set that's biblical in nature. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned and received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. So Paul is saying that my life is manifesting what I say I believe in value. If you don't believe me, look at the pattern of my life. Look at what I've done. Look at how I've lived my life. That'll speak louder than me proclaiming to you what my value is. Isn't that a pretty gutsy statement, Greg? I mean, do you go around saying, just look at how I live my life? Like Paul said, maybe you've just, you've heard or seen in me. That's a pretty gutsy statement. It's- it, it may be a gutsy statement if it were untrue, but if it's absolutely true, if, like, for instance, I, I think I've shared on, on your show before, 
that when I was at Bethel, I became known as the values person by others, and they would come from the college, these young people, and wanted me to mentor them. And one of the things they'd start off by doing is sharing with me what they valued. Hmm. I'd listen patiently and, and intently and without comment until they were done, and then i ask them these two questions. If this is true, tell me about a decision you've made or an action you've taken within the last three weeks that validates the value you say you hold. Wow. I didn't do it to shame them. I wanted them to be able to understand you can aspire to a value, but it doesn't mean you're committed to that value. The commitment comes in a reflective behavior that arises from the value you say you hold. You should be able to say, as Paul, I'm sure that's why he had the confidence to make this Mm -hmm. this gutsy statement, is that there was a pattern in his life since his conversion that was evidence that he was living what he said he believed and what he valued. So he had every right to make that comment. I agree, Greg. It's just a very bold thing he said. <laughs> it is. Would we have the, the courage? That to, was my point. <laughs> to to yeah. say the same thing. Right. Um, I, I took a chance last night, and and I asked my grandson in front of his friend, I said, we were talking about promises, and I said, son, have I ever made a promise to you that I have, never, that I have not kept? Now, that could be a gutsy statement to say because they could. And he said, yeah. absolutely not. Oh, wow. And I said, son, the reason is, is I'm very careful what promises I make to you Mm -hmm. because I want to make sure I can follow through with them. Mm -hmm. I like. So, you know, and and it it, it takes a little guts to ask those questions, just like it would take guts if you're married to go ahead and say to your wife, here's the nine uh, values of the fruit (laughs) of the spirit. How am I (laughs) shaping up? Uh, How am I benchmarked by you with these values? So... In in summary, then, up to this point in our discussion, every decision, every decision you make of any consequence, I'm not talking about what color of shirt you're going to put on in the morning, those kinds of decisions, but any decision of any consequence is based on a value you've established by a belief you hold. Mm -hmm. Even though, oddly enough, and most Christians, when we talk about that level of discussion, when we get down into that kind of a depth, not many are able to describe or proclaim or explain the belief or value or the belief that gives rise to the value they say they hold. They may have that and their behavior is evidence of it, but they haven't thought through specifically what those are, nor have they thought through what stands in the privileged vantage point of authority over what those beliefs Mm -hmm. and values are. So your beliefs are pretty important because they're going to become your values and your values will motivate what your actions are. You can take any philosophy or ideology. For instance, Black Lives Matter. If you go to their webpage, you can see what they absolutely believe Mm -hmm. and what they absolutely value and then understand why you're seeing the kinds of behaviors you're seeing from that movement. It is not to say you condone them or that you embrace them but you can simply see the correlation between the two, their beliefs and values, and how they act out of those beliefs and values. Mm-hmm. So that's the underlying foundation. Well, yeah. So we're just down to a couple of minutes here, Greg. So I think we, we need to continue this uh, discussion on values and ethics because I was hoping we would uh, sort of complete it today, but we're not there yet, are we? No, we're not. No. <laughs> it's just a great discussion. Um, uh, but it's very interesting. You know, if you... 
or a business and you say, this is what we value. Our customers are always number one. And every time you go in there, you can never get anyone to wait on you. Yeah, that's, that's it exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're feeling... They're platitudes on a wall. Yes, yes. They're platitudes, but or they're they not might, they might be values you posted in your home, but you're not li- leading right. your family by right. those values because there's no proof in the behavior. Right. There's no fruit befitting the declaration that mm-hmm. you're making. Then we've got what's called hypocrisy, right? <laughs> Yeah, duplicity, duplicity, hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the case. So I just encourage your audience to think through, take a look at the book of Proverbs, which is all about values, yeah. and start to think seriously about them. Would you give us a 20-second prayer on people who are feeling convicted right now? Yeah. Heavenly Father, your spirit convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but it also convicts us of bringing clarity to our lives. Um, and so I just pray for our audience right now that they be receptive to whatever you might be sharing with them at this moment through this medium and that they take it to heart because you are on their heart. They have not been an accident or a coincidence. You knew them before they ever were born. You superintended their formation in their mother's womb. You set the number of days they'd live on this earth. And all you're trying to do is give them guidance about how to live their life that will bring glory and honor to you, Lord. So bless them, I pray in Jesus' name. Dr. Greg Borgon has been my guest. You can go to heartofawarrior.org to learn more about Greg and his ministry. We will continue this discussion on values and ethics next time. You'll be in studio with us, and we'll take a little break. When we come back, we'll have uh, Dr. Greg, uh, Glenn Pickering with us. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.